You are listening to the Purpose Church High School Ministry Podcast. Whether this is your first episode or you've heard them all, God has something to say to you. Our vision is to see every student everywhere following Jesus, and we hope this message helps you take your next step in your faith. To learn more about our high school ministry, visit our website, purposechurch.com HSM, and check us out on Instagram at purposehsm. We hope you enjoy today's so, episode. For this series, for this series, our desire is that you would read along with us and that you would get to experience the whole scripture. So one of the reasons we called this series 66 is because the Bible, and I need everyone to clue in on this, this is really, really significant. The Bible is not one book. The Bible is not one book, but the Bible is one story. And God chose through 66 different books, through multiple different authors, through an Old Testament and a New Testament, he chose to tell his story. The Old Testament and the New Testament are one unified story, ultimately culminating in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ and his death and in his resurrection. I want to show you a graphic. Some of you guys got this on your seats last week. Can we go ahead and pop up that uh, first graphic, the Bible stats real quick, guys? Uh, okay, we'll start here. So, the Old Testament and the New Testament are actually broken up into these interesting different categories. Can we go to the other one first, actually, the one with all the numbers? There we go. So the book, the Bible, is 66 different books. And this is incredible. Through 66 different books in three different languages, in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, over a 1,500-year time period, through 40 authors, an Old Testament and a New Testament, God tells his story. His story of creating us, of loving us, of dying for us, and calling us to spend our entire lives here on planet Earth and all of eternity with him. Let's go to the next slide real quick. Where do we find ourselves on the timeline? So God creates. Last week in your life groups, you guys talked about Abraham. The year that we were talking about was about 2000 BC. We're talking today about the time known as the Exodus, the year 1446 BC. But I want you to see how all of scripture is describing this time period. And this is absolutely incredible, you guys. In fact, we have more ancient documents and copies of these documents than we do of any other ancient literature. That we have more copies of the Old and the New Testament than we have of any other ancient literature. And it matches up with the stories and with the details and with the words that are in your English Bibles. But it began being written in Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic and then was translated into multiple different languages and ultimately translated into English. What we're going to do for this entire series is we're going to work our way from creation all the way through time leading up to the New Testament, leading up to the first century when the Jews were waiting for God. They were waiting for their Messiah. And we're going to see how Jesus showed up, how he launched this new thing called the church and how we find ourselves in that season right after Jesus showed up, 2,000 years later. And so I am so excited for this series. I'm so excited for what God is doing. It was the year 100 AD when the Old Testament was canonized, meaning the Old Testament was brought together into one unified book, though 39 different books within that. And around that year, 100 AD, a group of scholars and a group of Jewish rabbis 
brought together these texts and it's what we have known as the Old Testament. And so we're going to spend a number of weeks looking at the Old Testament. Last week, I listened to Claire's message. She did an incredible job. She did an incredible job starting with creation, talking about the fall, and then ultimately setting you guys up to see that in Genesis chapter 3, right after Adam and Eve sin, God chooses to sacrifice something instead of sacrifice his people. He makes a sacrifice for his people that they might be in relationship with him, that they would cover, that that sacrifice would cover up their sin. What's been going on up to this point as we find ourselves in the book of Exodus is God made a promise to a group of people, to Abraham and his family, made a promise. He said, through you, I'm going to bless the world. That your, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky, as, as the sand on the seashore. And, and Abraham and his wife Sarai at that time are going, how in the world is that going to be possible? I mean, we, we don't have any kids and we're old in age, but God kept his promise. And then later there was a, a man by the name of Joseph. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers. He was sold into slavery and ultimately becomes Second in command of Egypt. And it's this incredible story. But then, Jake, or Joshua, Joseph ended up dying. Joseph died and, and all of a sudden a new king rose to power. And that's where we are picking up our story today. You know what's interesting to me is when you watch people under pressure. Have you ever seen somebody, whether they're about to take a test and all of a sudden like they start sweating? I, I remember when I was taking my driver's test. Anybody ever taken their driver's test? Let me see, you've ever taken, okay. So when I was taking my driver's test, I remember I got in the car and it was as if like the floodgates of heaven were coming through my hands, you know what I mean? Like I was just sweating and I was so nervous and like my face was sweating and I was so terrified I was gonna like kill somebody because that would like, you know, you'd fail the test and also go to prison. And so I was nervous about that. And, and I just remember un, when I'm under pressure and when you're under pressure, we do really, really weird things. What we're going to see in a minute is the Israelites will find themselves under pressure. And what we're going to discover together is that God was with them and God desired that they would trust him even in the midst of the pressure that they were going through. But before we do that, I saw this video recently. Where's Solomon? Where's Solomon? Where's he at? Um, where's Solomon? Hi, Solomon. There he is. So Solomon recently got his wisdom teeth pulled out. And you guys, here's the thing. You know because I've shown Luke's video. Um, whenever you get your teeth pulled out, send me that footage. Like, I love that stuff. You guys, I love that stuff. But here's, here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to see. Solomon, Solomon, like under crazy drugs. I don't even know what he was on. Makes this like makes this amazing profession of faith and also says some pretty ridiculous stuff. So let's, let's watch this video together just because it's, it's amazing. Let's watch it. And can we turn up the volume on it? But it's cool though, like I'm chilling. All right, big fly, but, Solomon, you know, you put that glass back in your mouth. I wanna apologize to uh, Toppy and Charlie because you know, I can't make it for you guys on Sunday. But you know, I love you guys. Uh, we probably have a kid replacement, but they, that's not me. That's not me. I just want to say thank you to God upstairs and Jesus Christ because like, he's super chill too. You know, he's always being nice. He said, hey, you need a vibe. I said, I'll catch your vibe. Uh, shout out to whoever taught Eric how to wall. You guys see that? So, so here's what's so cool. He's under... He's under crazy anesthesia, and this is what he does. Number one, number one, he, uh, 
He, he apologizes to my son, Charlie, because he is a Sunday, uh, a Sunday morning life group leader for Purpose Kids. Um, so he apologizes to my son because he can't come because he's crazy drugged up at that point. Um, then he talks about Jesus. And I, I literally, I want, like, you need to translate some of the language. But basically he says, like, Jesus, like, you're vibing? Like, I catch your vibe. You know, and it was just awesome. <laughs> like, I don't even know what that means, but I, I, that's like profession of faith right there. He, he's catching Jesus' vibe. That's cool. Um, and then he gives a shout out to whoever taught me how to woe, which I really appreciate that. Um, more self-taught than anything, but just say it, just say it, just say it. More, more self-taught than anything. But um, I love that. I love that because that's Solomon. That's Solomon in kind of a crazy state. And yet he uses this moment because it's so core to him to share something really beautiful. And, and I want to talk to us for a few minutes about how do we handle ourselves under pressure? We're going to see the Israelites under an incredible amount of pressure. We're going to watch how they handle themselves and then maybe reflect and say, God, how do you want us to handle ourselves? In in Exodus chapter 1, verse 8 to 11, Exodus chapter 1, verse 8 to 11, it says, Exodus 1, 8 to 11 says this, Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt, verse 9. Look, he said to the people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. Verse 11. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Python and Ramses and store cities for Pharaoh. So a new king arises in Egypt and recognizes that the Israelites are growing and says, this group is now threatening to us. We must put them into a form of slavery. And he begins to, they begin to oppress the Israelites. And for 400 years, for 400 years, the Israelites... They suffer under immense pressure, under oppression, under slavery. God is against slavery in all forms, in all shapes. And here the Israelites, they're experiencing the the devastation that comes with someone else owning you and someone else controlling you. But the word exodus, it literally means departure, It means to exit. So the story of Exodus is not a story of them being enslaved, but it's a story of what God does. And the first thing I want you to write down in your notes is this. God makes a way through barriers and obstacles to be with his people. God makes a way through barriers and obstacles to be with his people. And so God raises up Moses. And Moses is a really interesting guy because Moses is part Hebrew, part Egyptian. He, he was born a Hebrew, but he was raised an Egyptian. And long story short, God meets Moses through this burning bush. And he says, I have heard the cries of my people. I want to rescue them and I want to use you to do that. And Moses has a lot of excuses and a lot of reasons why God could never use him. Maybe you have a lot of excuses and a lot of reasons why God could never use you. Well, you are in good company. Because God used Moses, a man who didn't feel qualified to lead out over a million people. To lead a million people out of a slavery from the most powerful country, the most powerful leaders in the world at that time. So... 
God uses Moses and, and ultimately sends these 10 plagues to Pharaoh and to Egypt, constantly saying to them, let my people go, let my people go. There's these interesting parts in the passage where Moses, or where a Pharaoh, his heart is hardened to God. And then there's these other moments that are interesting to talk about, especially in your life group, where God actually hardens Pharaoh's heart. It's almost as if God gives in to what Pharaoh's sin led him to. It's Pharaoh's sin led him to have a kind of heart that was hardened by God, and so God gave in to that. Well, we pick up the story right after, right after Moses has led the Israelites out of Egypt. All of a sudden, they find themselves in a situation where Pharaoh wants them back. And Pharaoh goes chasing after them, and they find themselves at the edge of this cliff. The only thing before them is the Red Sea, and behind them is Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen racing full speed ahead. And we see the Israelites in a place where they're afraid, where they're anxious, where they don't see how all of this is going to pan out. In Exodus chapter 14, verse 10, it begins like this. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. You see, Israel begins to respond to their circumstances with fear. Before them are not a lot of options. They don't see a clear path of how God is going to rescue them. God told them in verse 4 of chapter 14 that Pharaoh would come after them again. But now that it's actually happening, they're beginning to question whether it was God's plan and God's desire for them to leave Egypt. In fact, they say to Moses, they say, Moses, honestly, what was it that there were no graves in Egypt? Life was better in Egypt? I mean, these are people who literally hours before this, days before this, they were being tortured, they were being whipped, they were being mistreated, they were owned and enslaved. And they've gotten a little taste of freedom, but with that freedom comes a little bit of fear and a little bit of the unknown. And they're ready to just head back. They're ready to forget it all. It's as if God is saying to them, hey, a part of following me is going to require a little bit of fear. Following me always involves a little bit of fear. But I'm going to carry you through. You see, it's similar to what Jesus said. I want to show it up on the screen. In John chapter 16, verse 33. In John chapter 16, 33, Jesus promises a similar thing. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Uh, Jesus is just honest here. He says, the reality is, if you're a follower of me, actually, if you're, it doesn't matter if you're just human, but especially as a follower of me, you are going to have trouble in this world. Students, don't believe the lie that following Jesus means everything always gets better right away, or that everything's easy or comfortable. In fact, Jesus promises you it won't. Isn't there some comfort in that? I think for many of us, me included, 
the Jesus that I want to believe in is the Jesus who makes everything easy for me. The Jesus who cleans up all my messes. The Jesus who doesn't let me go through any challenges. The Jesus who literally is my genie just doing whatever it is that I want him to do. The Jesus that wants to make all of my Christmas wishes come true. But the real Jesus, the Jesus of Scripture, the God of all creation, says the reality is following me is hard. Following me is going to cost you something. In uh, verse 13, it says, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. What a powerful verse in scripture. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Here's what's interesting about this word still though. I think oftentimes we misinterpret this kind of passage. Or we read this and we say, oh, okay, cool, so this is how it works. I just kind of step back and say, okay, God, you got this. You just do your thing and I don't need to do anything. I don't need to change. I don't need to step out in faith. I don't, I, there needs to be no difference in my life. I'm just gonna step back and say, okay, God, you got this, cool. I get to keep doing me. I get to keep living my life. Nothing different is going on here. There's no change within me. As long as I pray, God, you'll fight that battle. You'll fix that relationship. You'll restore those bad grades. You'll deal with the drama I have with my family. Blah, blah, blah. I just get to step back and do whatever I want to do. You see, this, this word still here is the Hebrew word, Kasha. And the word kasha in Hebrew literally means to be silent. So you see, God's not saying to his people, hey, hey, you just take a backseat, do whatever it is that you want to do, and I'll just kind of take care of it. I'll make all your dreams come true. I'll fix it for you. No, what he's saying to his people is he says, I want you to stop complaining, and I want you to trust me. That for too long now you have been complaining and your complaining and your fear has paralyzed you. And instead, I want you to keep moving. It's the second notes in your sheet. Stop complaining and keep moving. This is what he says in verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. In other translations, it says, tell the Israelites, keep moving, keep going. God said, I have called you, I've called you out of Egypt. Instead of complaining and wanting to run back, I want you to be silent and I want you to trust me. I want you to step into a kind of obedience where when my word says something that you have tension with, that you're frustrated about, discuss it, but make a choice. Make a choice to obey. Make a choice to follow God. Make a choice to say, I am not going to be marked as someone who complains, but instead, I'm going to be someone who faithfully moves, who faithfully walks forward where God is calling me. You guys, following Jesus is hard. Following Jesus is challenging. Following Jesus requires you to step into things that are fearful. It's why all over the place Jesus tells his people, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, and then tells them what he wants them to do. It's as if Jesus is saying, don't let fear stop you from moving forward where I'm calling you. Don't let fear stop you from moving forward where I am calling you. Friends, fear is normal. 
when you think about your life and you think about following Jesus and you think about sharing your faith with your friends, you think about Jesus wanting to change an addiction that you have, a habit that you have, a struggle that you're carrying. It's normal to be afraid of that and to say, I don't know what it would look like to not have this. I don't know what it would look like to not talk that way. I don't know what it would look like to not have sex with my boyfriend or girlfriend. I don't know what it would look like to really trust him with a relationship with my parents, to give up an addiction I have. Fear is normal. It's what you do with that fear that makes all the difference. Do you allow it to be the thing that paralyzes you? Is it the thing that invites you to run back? Not to where God is calling you, but from where he's calling you from? Or what would it look like to stop complaining and instead to keep on moving? You see, friends, being a follower of God, being a follower of Jesus, should have a noticeable effect on your life. There should be something different. And I love this passage because the Israelites are wrestling. They're wrestling with this. They're going, God, we don't fully understand. So he's going, I understand. I'm just asking you to keep on moving. I haven't, and up to this point, he hasn't delivered them yet. They're uncertain. He's just saying, keep on moving. Keep on trusting me. Friends, following Jesus should make a noticeable difference, should have a noticeable effect on your life. I need uh, two guys up here real quick. I need these two guys. Come on up here real quick. Guys, give it up for Parker and Luke. All right. All right, so here's here's what I need you to do. So I have unsalted saltines, okay? Which, like, why, why do they even sell these, right? Like, unsalted saltines, it's an oxymoron. It doesn't make any sense to me. So, here's what I want you to do. I'm trying to decide who to be nice to. I'm gonna be nice to Parker. So, Parker, I want you to go ahead and take two of those. Okay, go ahead and take two of those. Now, so I've got Parker with the unsalted saltines. For Luke, I have two extra sour warheads, Okay? <laughs> I, I don't think it's medically responsible to take two of them, but we're going to try it. So here we go. Luke, how are you with sour things? Right. Are you okay? All right. all right, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to open those. I want you to open both of those. And on the count of three, I want you to both, I want you to pop both of them in your mouth. And on the count of three, I want you to start eating those, okay? And can you guys step up here to the front with me? Step up here. Okay. Here, I'll do this one. Oh, you got it. Yeah, there we go. Okay, you ready? Okay, you got this. Okay. All right, here we go. On the count of three, on the count of three, here we go. One, two, three. Now, respond, respond with your faces, like how are you feeling right now as you're eating this? Oh my gosh, this is awesome. Parker, how are you doing? You're okay, you're good, right? Like everything's great. You having a good time over here? Look, how are we doing? Never mind. It came back. It came back. That's awesome. Here's the thing, friends. Whose mouth is cramping. That is not possible, but great. Okay. Um, friends, let me make this analogy for you. Let me make this analogy for you. For so many of us, for so many of us, for me included at times, Following Jesus has no noticeable effect in my life. I mean, he's literally eating unsalted saltines that are absolutely flavorless, right? Like, I mean, you just can't really taste, like, there's just, it's just no impact. 
For many of us, the way we follow Christ looks like this. We have no impact. I believe that Jesus desires that the gospel, that following him, that knowing his word would literally impact us so much. Like, he's beginning to sweat. You know what I mean? Like, this is serious. Like, do you remember that faith? You remember at one point when he, like, lifts his head up and he's like, come, Lord Jesus. You know what I mean? Like, eating the warhead, eating the warhead as literally, like, if you can picture, maybe you've had a warhead recently, if you can picture it, like, it's all you can think about. It literally consumes every part of you. It's all you're thinking about. And it can't help but, like, work its way out through the expressions in your face and through your body. I want you to take a little inventory here for a second. I want you to ask yourself a question. Is the way you're following Jesus having no noticeable effect on your life? Or is the way you're following Jesus affecting everything? I want you to think, you guys can have a seat. Give them a round of applause. Yeah, you can have one. You can have one. I was trying to think about areas of your lives, areas of our lives where this gets played out. Let me, let me share this with you students. Following Jesus should dramatically affect, don't miss this, following Jesus should dramatically affect your romantic relationships. See, if, if the way you're following Jesus is like eating an unsalted, saltine cracker and has no noticeable effect, no dramatic effect on your romantic relationships, then you're not following Jesus. This means, very practically, the boundaries you and your boyfriend and girlfriend share and you decide on should be absolutely dictated by the fact that Jesus is consuming your whole life. I want you to think about this area, that following Jesus should dramatically affect the way you treat your family. If here you're the most loving, kind, awesome person and you get home and you don't talk to your parents and you're rude, then the way in which you're following Jesus is like eating an unsalted saltine cracker. It is having no effect on your family life. It should be dramatically affecting your family. Following Jesus should dramatically affect how you interact online. People who say they follow Jesus, they ask for nude pics. People who say they follow Jesus, they post anything and everything they want to. People who say they follow in Jesus... They look around, click around, do whatever, because their following Jesus is like eating an unsalted saltine. It has no effect on them. But people who really follow Jesus, the way in which they engage online, the things they do, the things they don't do, it's dramatically impacted by their relationship with Christ. I was thinking this week, we're, we're beginning to think, and this is a whole other sermon for later, but we're beginning to think as a family how do we begin to talk with our kids about pornography? How, how do we begin, Sarah and I want to be ahead of that and having conversations about how do we talk with our kids as our kids are growing up in a culture where it is going to be so easy and so quick for them to get access to pornography. How do we start to talk with them? I was reading this book and these articles that were talking about how our brains could be divided very simply into two different sections. We have a thinking brain and we have a feeling brain. And the feeling part of your brain acts immediately and says, give me, give me, give me, give me. And sometimes it's good for you. If you're cold outside and, and your feeling brain tells you you need to put a jacket on, you're not thinking through like, what is the philosophical ramifications of putting on a jacket? No, you're just like, you just, you just put on a jacket. But that same feeling brain can get you in trouble. That same feeling brain when you, when a friend shows you a pornographic image 
or you think about going online and clicking around, that feeling brain says, this is going to feel good. I want this. This is good for me. And your thinking brain actually works a little slower and takes a little bit more time. What would it look like, students, for your thinking brain and your feeling brain to be so affected dramatically by the gospel, by who God is? That he has authority and leadership even over that area of your life. I want to fast forward real quick and then we're going to break into groups to verse 21. Then Moses stretched his hands over the sea. And all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. They're at the Red Sea. Pharaoh and the Egyptians are behind them. And God performs this incredible miracle, divides the Red Sea, and the Israelites literally walk through it. As I was preparing for this, this idea came to my mind. If you want to see the Red Sea in your life divided, you've got to leave Egypt. If you want to see God do miracles in your life, you have to trust him. You have to step into those unknowns. You, you have to allow him to be the Lord of your life. And so they step into it. God performs this incredible experience, this incredible miracle. And what they learn is what God wants to teach us. And it's the final fill in the blank in your notes. That leaving Egypt means trusting God's word and ways are worth it. They learn this valuable lesson as they're walking through the Red Sea. That trusting God's word, that trusting God's ways are always worth it. In a minute, I want you to break into your life groups. And together, you guys are going to read a little bit about Moses. You're going to read a little bit more about God's desire to not only free his people, but teach his people what true freedom looks like. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.